you're like me, uh, when you're in an unfamiliar place in the car and you don't know where you are, where you're supposed to be going, you can't situate yourself, you pull out your phone, you know, and you go to the map app, Google Maps, if you're a pro, Apple Maps, if you're a novice, and, um, and you click the map, and there's always that moment, right, where it shows you, like, sort of basically the area where you are, but there's no blue dot, right? The blue dot comes in, and it saves the day. It tells you exactly where you are. And that moment between when you pull up the map and when the blue dot lands and you know exactly where you are is where we live most of our lives, I I think. Um, We have a sense that we kind of know what we're doing. We kind of know where we are, but we're not really sure how to situate ourselves in the world. And the reason why, from the beginning of the semester up until spring break, We've been studying the book of Genesis in the Bible. It's the first book of the Bible. It concerns itself mostly with how the world came to be. The reason why we are, have been studying that is because Genesis orients us to the world. In a sense, it puts that blue dot down and gives us a sense of where we are, what the world really looks like, and where we belong in it. And the thing that I really want you to be walking away with, if, you, if you've heard any of these talks in the book of Genesis, is that God made each and every one of us, to know him, chiefly. That God created human beings to know God and to be known by him. And that also in the book of Genesis, we see over and over that we have constantly and consistently rejected that purpose um, for ourselves of knowing God. And tonight, I want to look at in Genesis chapter 11. You can just look in your handout. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you want to take one home, there's some on the book table over there. I actually got two really snazzy looking Bibles. So if you're like looking for a bougie Bible, there's one back on there. It's like, it's like hard bound with like nice gold writing on it. Um, so we're going to read Genesis chapter 11, one through nine. This, uh, this passage, by the way, is kind of, it's pretty mysterious. It's so short that, and it talks about stuff that seemed like that's such a big deal. And a lot of details, it feels like, are missing. Um, but many ancient things that we are aware of that happened long, long ago are mysterious to us. So we can be comfortable with that. But let's listen. Genesis chapter 11, this is God's word. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. For they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And the word for Babel sounds like the word for confusion in Hebrew. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Uh, This is God's word, I believe. And so we're going to ask God to to be with us as we consider it. 
Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and um, we thank you for the way that if we're open to it, that it can really orient us in the world and help us make sense of who we are and who you are. So we just ask that you would come now, not that we would have to go up to you, but that you, as you promised to do over and over again, would come down to us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, routinely, one of, the, one of people's favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. It's a strong movie. The movie was made in the 40s, man. It's to the, to the test of time. But if you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, it's a story of a guy named George Bailey, and he's visited by an angel named Clarence. And Clarence, uh, George is despairing. There's been some, some tough stuff going on in his life. He's thinking about ending his life. And Clarence comes and shows George, this is what it would look like in the town of Bedford Falls, where he lives. This is what it would look like if you had never been born, right? And he shows him what life would be like in Bedford Falls if George Bailey had never existed. And that's a pretty fascinating thought if we think about it for ourselves, right? What, what, would, what would my family look like? What would my town look like? What would my community look like if I had never been born? What would it be like without me? I want to ask a question for us to reflect on um, that's kind of in the same vein. And that's, who are you without God? If God was removed from the, from the equation, who are you? What is your identity? No matter where you're coming from tonight, no matter whether this stuff is totally foreign or totally familiar to you, what if there was no God? And it was just you and me and rocks and, and trees and all that. And the reason I ask that, and I want us to reflect on that, is because that's basically the main thrust of what this passage in Genesis is about. It's about what is life like when we do our, our lives and our community and our purpose without God. The reason why they're building this city and building this tower um, are about two things. Self-reliance and comfort. Um, they're constructing a re- reality in this city um, that basically says we're good on our own, we don't need God, and we want to be together. What they're really doing, in a sense, is building a collective identity without God. What does it look like when a community of people builds an identity where God is not part of the equation? I mean, if you look a little bit in the passage, it's, 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 it is, again, very mysterious, but... Um, they said, come let us build, this is in verse 4, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. What they're saying is, let's build a city so we can make a name for ourselves, so that our name will be central in the world, so that um, we can, in a sense, have a, have a universe that um, rotates around us. And they build a, a tower up to, to heaven. They say, we'll build this tower. And this was a pretty common in the ancient world. They would build a, a tower and they would paint the top blue so it looked like it went all the way up to heaven. In a sense, so we can ascend up to heaven and maybe make a few changes up in the divine realm. We'll go up there and we will assert our authority there. And uh, the reason why they're doing that, and they kind of say this, they say, let's do this so that we're not dispersed over the earth. We want to be together together. We have strength in numbers. We would like to preserve our own comfort. Um, they're afraid that they're going to be scattered, and they want to keep things as they are. They want to keep their comfort. 
And God does two things. And just hang with me through, through this, because I think if we will allow it, this makes a lot of sense of our own moment. But God does two things. The first thing he does is he comes down to them, and he sees what they're doing. And it's funny, they're building a tower up to heaven. Like, hey, we'll build this tower, we'll be able to get up there, maybe, maybe kind of like get in the mix with telling God what to do. Um, God has to stoop down to even see what the thing is that they're doing, right? This is an intentional like wordplay in the passage. Like, God has to get all the way down to like maybe catch a glimpse of this like Lego little tower and city that they're building. They believe that they're capable of reaching the heavens, but God has to stoop down for them, and that kind of puts things in perspective, right? We're great. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to assert ourselves. We're going to be self-reliant. And God's like, oh, sorry. Let me come down there and see what it is that you're doing. Um, That puts things in perspective for them. And when God comes down and examines it, he he basically goes, look, no, this isn't going to do. You building a self-reliant world for yourself won't do. And what he does is he confuses their language. He doesn't smash the tower. He doesn't smash the city. He just makes it so that they can't talk to each other. We're living with this now. I mean, we, you know, pretty much everyone in this room, I would assume, speaks English, but you got to know texting. You know, one time Hannah Martin sent me a text, and I texted her back and said, uh, okay, like, I was like, cool, sounds good, in my mind, and she was like, don't you K period me, and I was like, I, I, and I didn't, I was sending a very subtle message with my K period that I was very terse and angry, but I was just like, okay, okay, because I'm 34, you know, like, what do I know about texting? Um, but what God does is he comes and he confuses their language. And what he's doing really is making their lives intentionally uncomfortable. He's saying, you want to build the city and come together so that you can have a comfort and self-reliance. And I'm going to confuse that and make your life intentionally uncomfortable. And he does that for them. And he does that for us because he loves us. To shake us out of this dream that we have, that we are the center of things and that we can get along fine by ourselves, that we can have an identity without God. Uh, Discomfort is one of the only things that will get our attention routinely. Um, uh, On Sunday, I was driving back with my family. Um, I officiated uh, our intern, Garrett, and uh, Sarah's wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, Really, really happy. And I think I was just still like, you know, on a cloud, driving back, going 65 um, uh, near Wilkesboro, and um, I didn't get a ticket. There was a church that had like a like a marquee, and I was really confused by it. And I was kind of driving, and then I like glanced back, and there was a van stopped turning. It couldn't have been farther than 30 feet in front of our car. And like I jerked the wheel. You know, in the moment, it just feels like it's taking forever. I asked my wife later, how close do you think we were to hitting that van? And she said, six to eight feet. And I did the calculation. When you're going 70 miles an hour, you're going 100 feet per second, right? So the fact that, like, literally my whole family would have been, I mean, it was awful, right? Um, And I, I say all that to say that was a very discomforting situation. But I can't even now think back on that. It, it like, sort of shakes me and undoes me a little bit. And what God does is he's confusing their language because often we are so convinced that we can build a world without him that he allows us to be uncomfortable, to be shaken out of that. Now look, what what does that story have to do with us? It's an ancient story. Um, Well, this is what it has to do with us. We live in Babel, 
uh, this, this city of Babel with its tower has been long ago completed, and we've been living in it for a long, long time. And this is what I mean by that. There's this philosopher, his name is Charles Taylor. Uh, he's a Roman Catholic philosopher. And he, he says, our cultural moment that we live in right now, uh, this isn't like a critique or anything, this is just an observation, is what he calls we live in an imminent frame. And what he means by that is, throughout all of human history, people lived in imminence, which is like what's happening right here, and transcendence. They had a sense that there was some transcendent out there, and there was the imminent here, and somehow they interacted. But the moment that we live in now is all imminence. In a sense, the world has become completely disenchanted for us. There is no out there. There is no God. There is just what we see and observe um, in, in, in the world. And we live without transcendence. And that shows itself to us in, in, in five narratives. And I just want to run through these. Because they're true of everybody in this room. Whether you're a Christian and you grew up in the church your whole life. Whether you're like, this stuff is weird. Or you're somewhere in the middle like with most of us. Um, there are five cultural narratives that are true of all of us. And these aren't beliefs. These are things that to you and to me, pretty much anybody under 35, they are just self-evident truths. And they, they go like this. There's an identity about your, uh, there's a narrative about your identity that says, I have to be true to myself. My, in my life, I have to be true to who I am, right? That's number one. Two is we have a narrative about our happiness. I'm obligated to pursue my own happiness. That's my obligation. That's my purpose in life is to pursue the thing that makes me happy. We have a narrative about freedom. I should be free to live however I want as long as I don't harm another person. Okay. Uh, we, have, we have a narrative about morality. Nobody has the right to tell anyone how to live their lives. It's not that like, we just believe that. That's just like feels right in our gut. Like that, Yeah, of course, that makes sense to us. And the last one is, is, is we have a narrative about technology. That I don't need religion to prosper, to be happy, because technology and science eventually will do that for me. Every need that we've pretty much had to this point, there's been a technological solution to it, and I'm sure there will be one in the future. And what that means is that we live in Babel. We live in a collective identity that says, I have no need meaningfully for God. He is beside the point. Now, there's something interesting, which is if you go on Netflix and watch any show, I mean, Stranger Things is the one that comes to mind, but any show pretty much, people are trying to wrestle with the fact that there's nothing out there Yet inside of me, I'm longing deeply to know something beyond what's just imminent. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, since we live as if there's no transcendent reality, and I, and I hope that you feel this sort of the basic, I think, just reality of that's just where we are. Um, we feel like we have to make a name for ourselves. If, if there's no God to identify me, I have to identify myself. And my question for you, and this is just part of the, the, the reflection, what is the name that you're making for yourself and how long you've been trying to make it? Um, maybe that you're the successful one, the obedient child in your family, or the rebellious child in your family, right? Um, it's, it's, it's amazing because we always get siblings in REF, and it's funny to see like, who plays what role, make what name for themselves in their family. Uh, maybe, maybe you're the fun girl, or you're the good girl, 
Uh, maybe you're the hard worker. Or we define our, make a name for ourselves based on our mental health status or our sexuality or our gender or our social cause. Or our, weirdly enough, our denomination. If you're a Christian person, that's a weird one. Um, maybe you're the friend that really cares. The one that's going to pick up the phone at 1130 at night. Maybe you're the guy who will do anything. This is a crazy one. Do anything. Drink anything. Maybe you're the mysterious one. Okay? That's why I fell in love with my wife. Right? I was like, ooh. Um, she's mysterious. Um, and she is. Um, I appreciate that someone just made a throwing up sound. Thank you. Um, <laughs> whatever the name it is that you're trying to make for yourself, I want you to sit, just, just to think about that. Reflect on that. Think about how long you've been trying to do it. Most of us have been trying to make that name for so long that we don't even remember that we're doing it. It's just happening. But look, the name never, no matter how successful you are at it, no matter how many great experiences you have, the name you get never goes far enough to make you actually feel comfortable in the world. It never makes you feel like, finally, I can rest and just this is just me. And here's why. You and I do not have an identity outside of God. God created us in his image and we are identified by our relationship to him. And beyond that, we are hopeless to find a name for ourselves. And that means that's true whether you know God or, or you don't. Hundreds of years ago, there was the, in North Africa, there was this Christian guy and his name was St. Augustine. And he was a really brilliant man. And in the, his, he, got, he came to, to know Jesus, I think like in his late 30s. And he spent a lot of time making a name for himself because he was a really a brilliant person. And before he, named, he came to know Jesus, he made for a name for himself as a philosopher of several different schools. He was just a brilliant guy. Um, and he indulged pretty much every kind of success and pleasure that he could indulge himself in to try and find out who he was. And uh, he ended up coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. He kind of came to the end of his rope, hit rock bottom. Rock bottom's a beautiful place to be, by the way. It's very solid down there, so don't be afraid of rock bottom. Um, But about 10 years after he came to know Jesus, he was writing a book of prayers. And uh, this was like in the 4th century, so it's been a a minute. Um, He wrote a prayer to God, and this is what he said. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. If you think about the FOMO that dominates your everyday life, the thing that you're worried about missing out on, um, no matter how many great decisions you make or how how many awesome things you experience or how often you travel abroad or whatever you do, that FOMO is always there and it's always growing. And I'm only about 12 years, 12 to 15 years down the road from most of y'all. And I can tell you, it doesn't stop growing. And what, what if you're so afraid of missing out because you are missing out? Because God created you. We were made to know him. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. That we're missing out on the one that we were created to know. And here's the good news. The one that each of you long for, that you were created to long for, that you have a craving for, you don't have to build a tower to get to him. He comes to you. He has come down to us. 
And the Lord Jesus, the one who we call, the Bible says we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not us to God, but God come to be with us. He says to each of you tonight, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Weary with trying to find out, do I even matter and where do I fit? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To rest in knowing God. And here's what I want you to do with that. Spring break's coming up. Um, you have some time to practice. I want you to try to speak to God. Um, prayer is the most obviously missed, forgotten, not noticed, who cares, feels like you're talking to the ceiling, right? Thing that you could do. But the fact that you're acknowledging God by name and speaking to him, that is the most legitimately radical thing that you could possibly do in a world where nobody believes there's anything out there, but we all desperately want it just to be able to say, God, I think you're there. Are you listening? And here's the thing. God promises to hear you. He says, I will come down to you. I will stoop my ear down to you. And he is more ready to hear than you are to talk to him. So take the opportunity this break to pray for the first time. um, Maybe for the first time in a while. And what I've done is I, I put these handouts in your, in, a, in your little folded thing. And what it is, is it says morning prayer on one side, and it says evening prayer on the other side, and I have some more if you want one. I think they're on the book table. And what I want you to do is when you wake up in the morning to pull this little thing out, and I want you just to pray like it's on here. And then at night when you get ready to go to bed, and I want you to acknowledge that there's a God who calls you to rest. And that's what I want us to reflect on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, um, that you've created us for yourself and that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And Lord, we don't know how to do that. We don't know where to begin. But Lord, I ask that you would teach us to begin to cry out to you and that, Lord, we would find rest for our souls in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've come to be with us. Pray in your name. Amen. Peace.